smoking because masks are cool. What's your favorite movie mask? I'm Katie Richard because I get to go first. I'm going to steal David's probable answer. Those face masks, those face masks they wear to the beach and portrait of a lady on fire. I'm Matt Patches and I have to go with the fire rises. That's Bane for all of you. Mm, I didn't get the reference. You only adopted the dog. I was born into it. I'm David the Seven, and I'm going with the Amazing Spider-Man 2 mask, because it's still my favorite of the Spider-Masks. I'm David Ehrlich, and uh, while I'm not entirely sure if Katie's answer, if that technically qualifies as mask, I know in these times when we're all making do with what we have, they may as well. Certainly Your mansplaining portrait of a lady on fire is not a good look. I, it's exactly what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I guess if those are masks, then, well, certainly the masks from the orgy and Eyes Wide Shut are masks. Uh, but which of those masks would I choose? It's hard to say. Am I feeling a little bit, you know, vanilla and going with the Tom Cruise look? Or am I one of the misshapen uh, demon people watching from the rafters? I don't know. Tonight, probably more of the, la- the latter. <laughs> Really thought you were going to compliment yourself there and let yourself be Tom Cruise. Victory has defeated you. <laughs> Wait, that was a bit of a like Yoda. <laughs> Yoda, take off that Bane mask. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's It's a podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It is episode 299, Pandemic 9. It is the week of Wednesday, May 6, 2020. That was the day that in 1990, Tom Cruise, speak of the devil, uh, received a ticket for careless operation of a vehicle for speeding on his way to the Days of Thunder set. And we'll never let him forget it. You break the law once, (laughs) podcast will bring it up. Definitely the most controversial thing Tom Cruise has ever done. Yep. Uh, Otherwise, he's a peach. We should say up front, I know we promote things at the end, but we should say this is the last episode before our 300th episode. We have a quarter call coming up, and we're doing a live call-in show next Monday. As you hear this, it will be next Monday. It will be May 11th, 9 p.m. Eastern, which is the time that we record usually. Um, we will have a Zoom link that you can click into, dial in. There'll be a waiting room. Patches knows how to get you out of it. I don't know how that works, but he does. <laughs> I think um, people will be able to dial in with their phones, too. We're figuring out the technical. Here's, here's what I could promise. Okay. If you are trying to tune into this live uh, fighting in the war room 300, which could go for hours, I just want to make that it, promise right now. That's true. Oh, we boy. don't know what it is. Let's say it's it's the morning of May 11th, and you're like, "What am I doing tonight? Maybe I'm doing this fit or life thing." You go to fightingthewarroom.com, and at the top there, we'll stick a little post. They'll either have links or numbers or at least updated times about what we're doing. People and finally have to do, go to fightingintheworm.com. And we'll tweet and it as well, website. I promise. Should we do a 30-hour we'll live stream like uh, Griffin and Connor Radcliffe are doing? I am in awe. Show right now? I am in awe of my boy Watto. I'm afraid <laughs> for them, mostly. I hope um, there's I, – I, that was on Twitch, right? I hope there's going to be video of that because I've, I've been popping in and out of that. I was thinking that I, if I could wonderful. somehow own a copy of that, I would watch it periodically, uh, just, <laughs> just in fits and starts. They were interviewing – what's his name? Arliss. Uh, Robert Wool. And he was telling amazing stories about the sitcom Police Squad. And <laughs> Why am I watching well, this? It was sublime. 
Well, so we're, we're not going to have Robert Wool on ours. So, are we well, Ro- Robert Wool, if you are listening and to this, call listening. in oh, to the 300th yeah. episode. You're allowed to call. Anyone can call in. Please call in, no matter if you feel like you have something interesting or important to say. Just call in. It'd be like all the Zoom hangouts you've been doing with your friends. We got nothing to do. Come chat. It'd be amazing. Yeah. We do need to start recruiting some special guests. That's true. Fill we it. keep do we talking though, about do it. We, are we what not are special next Everyone's home. That's the important thing. This That's true. No one can tell us well. they have other. Although, I mean, haven't you found yourself like trying to schedule like Zoom dates with other people and being like, mm, I got another thing. And they do. Like everyone has like Zoom. Are you schedules. talking about you and I yes. specifically? I'm talking about how you won't play movies categories with me mostly. And Dave I'm, won't. I'm busy watching I, movies. I'm busy watching I the Austin Powers had. Trilogy. I have never had less time in my life. Uh, I have my, my day now is broken into discreet and rigid, like 30 minute segments, like you granted about a boy. And I have 20, a 20 minute, a shrunken segment of leisure time at around midnight. Um, and that's about it. I hope you don't uh, feel like I, this is just your experience because yeah, no, uh, this is, this is, it's all sounding very familiar. Certainly everyone with kids, probably more than that. No, I, no it's uh, I actually, I looked this up earlier today. I am the first person to ever have to uh, work with a young baby at home. Mm, yeah. Um, during a pandemic. Thank so you, I, I did narrow it down at the end there. Structure your lives like this, but the podcast like fucking flies off into pandemic check-in in the remittal review segment. <laughs> like, come on people. <laughs> Uh, listen, I Time structure no my meaning. life Segments so that I have don't no have meaning. to structure my podcast. We structure our lives until we get to this podcast recording, and then we let go of all of that planning ability as soon as we start recording. So wait, is this the pandemic check? No, we no, have reviews. Oh, we do have a review. Okay. Dumb moron. How <laughs> stupid. 299 episodes. I'm, I'll figure that out. Plus the previous era. So oh many god. episodes. Oh my god. I like everything. got the old pandemic rot in the dome. Uh, he's been thinking a little bit too much about our old friend Al Capone. Oh boy, we'll get there. Uh, dulled his senses. <laughs> That's a teaser for segment that is three. Definitely true. Uh, <laughs> I had a feeling it was. We have uh, three reviews tonight, and let's get to them. Uh, Julian J. Flores says, I'm writing this review for the second time because the podcast app on Max is terrible. Oh, yeah, he uh, tweeted note, at us to make sure we, yes. it came through. I'm so glad. But yes, now we have his review, and I will uh, heartily second his claim that the podcast app on Max is terrible, uh, much like all of the apps on Max, the iTunes apps. I think they've retired some of these. I remember them like planning on doing that. I don't recall seeing an actual change in my user experience. Maybe I just haven't updated, whatever. Uh, it apparently did not send my first review through last week. It might be good, though, for a little forced editing. Anyways, just want to come right out with two thumbs up, five stars, and an A-plus to this podcast. I've taken up daily walks around my neighborhood in quarantine times, as have I, Julian. And listening to these four friends discuss movies and parenting and games brings me a lot of comfort. Reminds me of my own friends and our discussions in the time before Zoom. Shout out to my social media less friend, Sean, who introduced me to Fighting in the War Room last year and got me hooked. Hey, Sean. One day we'll be back on that AMC A-list, buddy. Sorry, Sullivan's Hands Labyrinth. And now some lightning on comments to the podcast. Dave Seven, your needle drop transitions are God tier. When are you going to compile them all into a running Spotify slash Apple Music playlist for us all? I really enjoy when Katie Rich calls bullsh and then there are asterisks uh, where shit is. Um, I definitely say bullshit, just to be clear. Even in North Carolina, that is wild. Uh, on patches, <laughs> we're, let's, let's, let's refocus here. You're calling bullshit on patches. And I would nominate her for best Twitter follow of the group. 
I really like when patches on a movie unapologetically. And I feel like I've learned how to not automatically like every movie I see because of him. And David making long, long trailing aside comments in one breath is the kind of stream of consciousness movie reviewing I'm here for. All in all, a great crew of people talking about good stuff on a great podcast. I like how we and the podcast are better than the stuff. I appreciate this hierarchically. Last thing, and sorry to be that film bro here, but can you people, can you give the people a shh, or in this case, a merry kill? Oh, right. It's the asterisks because I'm sorry. I'm, you're not like uh, some... some uh, He's doing know, that you, to get through the... Right, right. You're just trying gates. to get through the, the filters here. A, uh, and a, but a, we, uncensored, live and raw, can say a fuck, Mary kill <laughs> for PTA's filmography. We're the Richard Pryor of podcast people. Just dropped an F-bomb. <laughs> like you heard question. it here. A fuck, Mary kill for PTA's filmography. I mean, we're, we're already sort of in orgy territory, uh, or at least a polyamorous relationship, because... There are far. We can do fuck Mary kill with the letters of PTA's name, um, but <laughs> stay safe and keep fighting in the war room. They say this is probably very helpful P. for several reasons. No, you got to get that A. Yeah, um, I'd marry the. An, I'd marry the T. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's a strong, solid T. It's tough. It's tough. I. I mean, you got to kill Hard Eight slash Sydney. No disrespect, but um, how do you play? How, wait, how do you play this game when he has many more movies than than three? Um, well, I think the, the rest of them just become uh, platonic. Friends. Yeah, they're just everyday Karens. Yeah, they're just around in your, life. your life. You know, I have to the, the Karen thing. Well, we could sidebar about the Karen thing. <laughs> I just there, for the check in. Yeah, there's just so, like I understand where it's coming from, and and don't really have any disagreement with the energy behind it. But to use an actual name that belongs to so many people, many of them who I know are not white women uh, of a certain generation, that just disparages their their whole first names that they were assigned at birth. It seems David unfair. Is such a David. I am such a David. Being a real David right now. Uh, killing Goliath, if that's what you mean. Biblical retort. Let's do it. Jeff Kane says, it's Goog that you're fine and I'm fine. Hey, Fighting in the War Room gang. I've been listening to you guys for over a year and I've been plotting my review for just as long. Plotting. Ooh. First off, I want to say great title. I first saw Dr. Strange Love in high school after getting my wisdom teeth out. Uh, fun story. I got my wisdom teeth out and then I got dry sockets and I was in the middle of seeing Alien vs. Predator at... Uh, I think it was a movie theater in White Plains when suddenly I was overcome with the most intense pain I have ever felt. Wow, whoever won, you lost. Um, and yeah, Alien, we all <laughs> lose. But, uh, um, and uh, I remember ending up that night in the hospital with ble- blood pouring out of my mouth and mainlining coding. Um, and that was uh, still better than Alien vs. Predator Requiem. My mom had rented it for me and put it on. We're back to Dr. Strangelove now. My mom had rented it for me and put it on as I recovered. Though I was drifting in and out of consciousness for most of the movie, I distinctly remember hearing the line, gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. And thinking to myself, ah, yes, that's very clever. I've come to look forward to each of your various vocal tics. Patches with his spot on impressions, especially Shrek. Patches. Do I do I do a Shrek? Yeah, you, you definitely do have done this. Had like donkey, donkey. There you go. I have been watching. Uh, a lot of, I, it's Fat Bastard and, and Shrek are the same, so it's it is fresh in my mind. Katie, when she says "damn," but he's, <laughs> but but this listener spelled it D A N M, uh, and I'm not sure if that's like uh, a deliberate. I'm thinking about someone named Dan. I'm not thinking. No, about. I think like it's just that's what they hear in your pronunciation. Oh. That the N goes before the M, and that's what gives it its singular. Oh, 
Uh, Earl, like when he interrupts people to explain why they're wrong. And Dave Seven, <laughs> when he doesn't speak up for a good 45 minutes into the podcast and always says the smartest thing to say. Finally, thanks for all the parenting insights. It's been fun to observe the show shift from a film podcast to a parenting podcast to a pandemic survival podcast. <laughs> Life's ultimate evolution. I don't know if Even we have good advice on any of those things. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Certainly on the parenting. I'm not qualified to uh, give anyone advice about anything. Even though you guys don't talk about movies as much as you talk about real life these days, I suppose I continue to tune in because I care about you as people. Wow. Uh, a breakthrough. <laughs> it's uh, very touching. Thank you. Um, and finally, we have Dr. Dark in YC. Dr. Dark with an E at the end and an NYC, I suppose. First off, my bad, misspelling David E underscore H underscore Ehrlich's name. Oh, boy. It's always scary when it says read more and you open it and the review suddenly becomes three times as long. Uh, this will be our last one for this episode. I'll get through it fast. Uh, give this five stars. Since apparently Apple Podcasts only count five star and one star reviews. That's not true. My reservations about David, and again with the underscores, Ehrlich aside, uh, this is a podcast. That, oh, that was my name, the spelling of which was a reservation, or are there reservations that are implied that we have yet to unpack? We'll find out. Um, this is a podcast I look forward to listening to weekly, even if a part of it is to find out if David Ehrlich enjoys It's Alive as much as he did before he started living it. I'm not sure. It's Alive? Hmm. His Life? Mm. No? I mean, I I, these are tough you to know parse. how to read. I, do I? As before, <laughs> originally came for Katie Rich, who I've enjoyed listening to on Little Gold Men, which I came Yay. to via This Head Oscar Buzz podcast. Shout out wow. to Joe Reed and Chris Fail, who in addition to having a great podcast of their own, are marvelous brand ambassadors for other entertainment podcasts. They do. I'm really impressed great with podcast. how you all... They do. I'm, re- I'm really impressed with how you all succeed in talking about pop culture every week during a period where it seems like there's no pop culture left, unless you count celebrities making fools of themselves via their camera phones. For the record, I'm delighted at minisodes that run over an hour because outside of driving all around central New York trying to find masks and hand sanitizer and fruitlessly trying to find disinfectant wipes, I don't have much to do right now other than sleep or sit in front of my PC or phone getting mad about the upcoming U.S. elections, assuming we even have them. Just wanted to fix my initial review and say you're always worth hearing. Yes, even David Ehrlich. P.S. Matt Patches, you need to find a way to relieve some stress, man. You're starting to worry me. Maybe volunteer <laughs> to go shopping for your elderly neighbors or spend several years writing a think piece about Josh Trank. But don't forget your mask. Did you add that part? <laughs> uh, there was only one way to find out, and that's to go to our <laughs> iTunes page, Fighting in the War Room, and leave us a review. Fighting in the War Rooms, we will obviously read it on the show for better or worse. I just want to say that I would fuck inherent vice. I would mm. marry. Um, oh God, I'm, I'm uh, the clo- the Phantom Thread. I would I would the marry clothes. Phantom Thread. Marry Phantom yeah. Thread, and I would I would, I would kill Magnolia just so I could hear "Wise Up" by Amy Mann as it died. Wow. Dave, you gonna, Yeah, this is, this is where the, it is another week of staying indoors for the pandemic. And this week, Katie and I are going to start off by telling you what we've been watching. Katie. Oh, my God. What's been what's been going on at, the, at your house? I didn't mean to spring it on you. No, it's, it's fine. I was last. just like, Dave should talk because we he didn't he held back when we tried to turn the previous segment into a pandemic check in. 
That's right. Well, I'm still, I still like structure. So I took your cue to talk uh, and then pivoted it right back to you. Let's see. Uh, Charlie is watching <laughs> something on Netflix called Hello Ninja, um, which it appears to be, it's a Netflix original. I don't know. It's fine. I'm not going to give it a strong <laughs> explanation or too much time. We get the, what is it about? It's about, about ninjas? kids who like solve everyday problems by pretending they turn into ninjas. It's, I think it's a pretty clear ripoff of PJ masks and it's not as good. Um, but also he's watched all the PJ masks and he's now watched all the hello ninjas. So, uh, we're stuck with that. Um, did you know that there's a cat in the hat series in which Martin short the voices, the cat in the hat? Cause we've been watching cool. that. That seems like it could be interesting. Um, Wait, let's, I thought let's you said Martin Sheen at first and I got really excited. <laughs> let's talk a little about the cat in the hat. Now, Are you watching book, the two patches? I am not. And I would not write at this moment, having read the the two books, which oh, yeah. I didn't realize of, were published like, back to back. Cat in the hat. I guess I always thought the second the cat in the hat came back was like a cash in sequel done years, years later it was published a year later after the original book. These were like truly the matrix uh, revolutions and what a reloaded of its time. Um, these books are 80,000 pages long. What was Dr. Seuss thinking when he decided to write kids' books oh, that are 100 pages boo. long? Take, wow. take 80% of every Dr. Seuss book out of the book and spare us, please. God. Counterpoint. Something I've been doing uh, more in the pandemic. Uh, a YouTube user named Wes Tank, W-E-S-T-A-N-K, has been using the pandemic to wrap all the Dr. Seuss books over Dr. Dre Beats. So patches, let me tell you, some of these Dr. Seuss books aren't long enough for 90s style raps. That seems impossible to me. Do you realize that? One fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish goes on a huge fucking journey. That book is longer than War and Peace. It's an eight minute long YouTube video. (laughs) Uh, Green Eggs and Ham is also longer than and War and Peace, and Oath Places Will Go. I, shit, I hate to uh, put a damper on this conversation, but I do think you guys are seriously underestimating how long War and Peace is. <laughs> well, are you reading like that to your child when you... Ten uh, pages of rhymes. There's something about oh, yeah. bedtime where, like, this must happen to you, where, like, you're reading books, and you're like, I could just go to sleep right now, too. Oh, absolutely. 7.30. What a great time. I would be so well-rested. Well, I'm trying to induce sleep. And I'm trying to. And then you oh gotta go like carry on with your evening. That's when terrible. when Asa gives, we're putting him down and we're singing him to sleep, and he okay. gives the big yawn that feels almost like you know for comic benefit. It's over. It's a cartoonishly a baby ready for sleep, and then you reflexively yawn in return, and it's eight fifteen, and yeah, you just want to lie down in the crib next to him. Yeah, it would be so comfortable. Uh, well, let's see. Uh, I've been watching movies for that I've basically given myself as homework for various other podcasts, but now I can talk about two of them at least. Um, out now, as you hear this, is a, a, an episode of the Screen Drafts podcast with me and Joanna Robinson. Um, you can kind of hear the concept of it, but basically we did a theme of brief encounter movies, basically movies in which the uh, people do not get together in the end. And I watched Brief Encounter, the movie, for the first time for it, mm-hmm. uh, which is on the Criterion channel. It's a great movie. Um, made by David Lean early in his career. Like he goes on to make Dr. Zhivago and Lawrence of Arabia. And this is a movie about two people who meet at a train platform made in the middle of world war two in England, which is also wild. Um, it's totally worth watching very short, which I appreciate. Um, and I rewatched before sunrise for it, which was great. I mean, I hadn't watched it in a while. It's great. There's nothing. I, I don't even know if I had a DVD copy, so I don't even know if it's streaming. Um, and then the other homeworky movie that I have watched recently for Little Gold Men this week, we watched Amadeus as part of our like Oscar movie. Amadeus, Amadeus. 
I had never Amadeus. seen Amadeus before because what? so many of the 80s Oscar movies always felt like homework. Like I saw Gandhi in college and like, ugh, I never want to see that again. Um, I've never seen Platoon. I've never seen The Last Emperor. I saw Out of Africa and same thing. I never want to watch it again. And I kind of put it in that category. But Amadeus like, is a romp. Amadeus rules. It is hilarious. And I had so no fun. idea. It's so fun. I watched, so the director's cut is the only one that's on iTunes. Um, so I watched the three hour version. Apparently the theatrical is a good bit shorter and it's long. I, I had to watch it in chunks because I have children. Um, but I like looked forward to going back to it as if I was reading some great book and I wanted to see what was going to happen at the end. I, I don't really think watching it in pieces is a bad thing at all. If you can watch it in sustained chunks. Um, and it's so funny it is so like creative with the way that it uses the like ridiculousness of this period in Vienna where everyone's wearing these elaborate wigs and everyone has all these rules that they have to follow. And you've got all these like stuffy men in the court who are trying to like get one over on each other. And then Mozart emerges as this like gigantic asshole who's so talented that like he keeps succeeding despite uh, Salieri trying to get in his way. Uh, it's so good. I had never seen it. So Patches has seen it. Dave and David, have you guys seen Amadeus? Mm-hmm. Yes. Would you would you compare it at all to like the favorite? Yes, I, mean, I, I thought about the favorite. I don't. I mean, I don't know. If thematically, it's similar, but it's a similar no. vibe of like going inside this rule where we're expected to be like, oh, costume drama, and everyone's fancy, and making everyone like petty and stupid, and like in, you know, it's in, in Amadeus, like they have American accents and talk in basically normal dialect. Um, it, it definitely has that kind of vibe. It's so good. I like it. Three hours. I mean, piano on iTunes. It. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's it's been a long time since I like had something that was some big like homeworky thing that I felt like I needed to check off the list, and then so I mean, brief encounter sort of, but I didn't really have as many expectations of that one. But I was like, oh wow, this was just a delight, completely. So, high highly recommended. Hear me talk about it more on Little Goldman. Sweet. Uh, yeah, I don't think I've been adding anything significant to my watch schedule. Because I fell back into a Star Trek streaming hole. Maybe not the star property you were thinking of this week, but <laughs> I um, got baited into through a group text message thread watching Never Surrender, the Galaxy Quest documentary on Amazon Prime. Was that good? Prime. It's, it's a fan documentary. Not, it's a fan documentary, which doesn't always hit the hardest. And it does, um, I think, you know commit some of the sins of a fan documentary which is this property is only the best because of the fans like you don't have to make every director that ever wrote a sleeper hit admit that it was the fans not his good directing that made a good movie don't underestimate the fans the fans are yeah. very important see my uh, yeah. dark universe documentary coming soon yeah they're a whole they're a whole menace apparently um, that is, uh, if yeah. you if you could write an oral history of the <laughs> making and unmaking of the dark universe i think it would break polygon wide open I think I want the challenge accepted. Patches Dark Universe tweets, just like challenge an entire accepted. oral history of that. I, I want a citation as your assigning editor. <laughs> I'll give you a shout. You out. could t- you could talk to the guy who, um, or probably the entire studio who developed the Dark Universe Universal logo that was on one movie. I would like to talk to that gentleman, actually. Well, All right. And now um, it has a place permanently on my Twitter feed. So and now it has yes. Now it's the Pat- Matt Patches Dark Universe logo. <laughs> Um, uh, but yeah, so that sent me strangely, uh, not to rewatch Galaxy Quest, although Galaxy Quest is great, but to kind of go back to, uh, Star Trek The Next Generation, which Galaxy Quest is 
not necessarily spoofing as much as it's spoofing like the time period of. So like early Trek conventions and stuff is what Galaxy Quest is kind of talking about. They're talking about Tim uh, Allen being William Shatner, sort of, uh, mostly because Patrick Stewart uh would like be so sincere if he was a real space captain anyway so little bits of uh escapist things if i'm guessing based on how my life goes on time periods where i'm shut inside like uh there was a year uh, a whole year before i left new york where i was living by myself and uh watch instantly was a thing which is what we used to call netflix because netflix was what disc netflix used to call netflix yeah yeah exactly um, and I think I did, uh, Star Trek and I did Lost and I did King of the Hill. So if that's sweeping around, it looks like next week I might be doing some King of the Hill rewatching just cause I'm in, I'm in a comfort food hole, but I'm for it. I don't dislike comfort food holes. I just do feel kind of bad because in my mind I would have made life for like, uh, room in my life for like some South by Southwest movies or, uh, there was... One movie that was on Mubi for one day that David tweeted about, and I'm like, "Oh fuck, I want to see that movie." And then it's going to come out later. I it know, will, we'll Emma. The yeah, the Pablo Lorraine film Emma, which is uh, really, I you know, polarizing, but I sure love, and it will be yeah. available on virtual cinemas this summer at some point. Awesome. Yeah, someone told me it was going to be available for one day the day before. I'm like, great. I'm going to make time for it. Then whatever we call this life now happened and i woke up on like tuesday or something it's like what the fuck so um yeah those have been my my new watch i had a great excuse to uh do some comfort viewing in that uh there's a uh episode of 30 rock that is an amadeus parody and so i watched that before i watched amadeus because i was like yeah i gotta do it for research um it was great (laughs) i enjoyed finding a way to work i like that you started with it that wasn't the the i mean like i had seen it before and i was like yeah, let me see what makes it an Amadeus parody and then I'll like note it. And it's not really like, there's not like shots in it that reference Amadeus or anything. It's just, it's just a good 30 rock episode. Dave, you mentioned King of the Hill. Speaking of that, have you been keeping up with Clone Wars, the final season on Disney plus? I have not really, because I was, I was told, um, wait and watch the last four. Like, because I basically, I asked somebody, the last four are basically a movie. Yes. I was, I asked somebody uh, who was in the know a couple of months ago, basically like, Hey man, I'm really feeling the drag of Star Wars fandom after this rise of Skywalker shit. I don't know if I could pivot like directly from that and uh, the Mandalorian into like being really into the Clone Wars. Do I have to do it week by week? And then my answer was, uh, you could just wait and watch the last four and then decide if you want to do it all again. So I'm waiting and today is the day that. I can, if I wish, watch those last four because the uh, at least reviews of them from the, within the fandom have been amazing. They're, they're very Fair. good. I mean, the action is so much better than anything they staged in in Rise of Skywalker. They got Ray Park to come back and motion capture Darth Maul to do fight scenes, and it really takes it to a different level. And I, I you know, the Clone Wars was not something I got into when it was actually on. The first season is terrible. Um, 
I watched half it and, and skipped right ahead. Uh, as long as you know who As- Ahsoka Ta- Tano is, then it, that's all that matters. And um, I would actually encourage people who have not ventured into, who like are casual Star Wars people, um, who watch the movies. Yeah, maybe Katie, maybe the the spawns of Katie one day. You mean well, I was this gonna... Ahsoka Tano? <laughs> yeah, the people <laughs> on the one. David's Star Wars video mobile game. Um She's a great ask character. If Clone Wars is something Charlie could watch, but it sounds like maybe not. I think the early seasons, maybe it gets more mature. It's it's definitely like the it, how the the original trilogy progresses, and maybe to the like, sequel trilogy. It starts very well. I should say prequel trilogy since it's based right on that, and that was really for kids. Um, it, it it's very cartoony in the beginning and certainly by the end of this it's a rumination on the 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 tolls of war and and what uh creating a clone army okay. really means Who cares? can you speaking. explain to me can you explain to me what a fulcrum ahsoka tano is that's her word fulcrum is her that's her code, code name, name in rebels when she was but she also uses the word as it's like hey do you know i'm part of the rebellion fulcrum no, this is Are you great talking because about for your for your game? So there's you a might second, have a hood. She'll have white lightsabers. Exactly. There's a second iteration ones. of Ahsoka Tano in the game called <laughs> in parentheses the Fulcrum, and I'm like, sure, what the fuck? I don't care. <laughs> Just like you should watch she Clone Wars. You should get some context here. I mean, it's a great action movie with something to say. I was really surprised by this last season and these last four episodes, as Dave was describing. It's like a big action movie, and it's it's very cool. I will get it's right streaming on now that. on Disney Plus, man. Darth Katie, Maul's I think back. you're real close to giving a couple episodes of Clone Wars a try. Yeah, and seeing what comes back. We've got a toy lightsaber around here that like gets picked up from time to time, and every time I'm like, "Ooh, is are we ready for lightsaber movies?" And like, other than watching, we've watched the clip from uh, the Force Awakens where they run to the Millennium Falcon and with BB-8. Um, but that's it. My recommendation to you, Katie, if you wanted to like dip a toe into this, and any parents who are have the same kind of questions, would be to actually just scroll through the episodes on Disney plus and because it's, you know, kind of not an anthology, but you know, there might be an episode just about R2D2. Uh, mm. There's a great episode that was George Lucas's favorite. He recently said this at a, at a Q and a that is basically uh, R2T2 roaming around the desert, desert and like lots of shtick and comedy oh, and existential dread that wouldn't resonate with kids. But um, there's the, 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 there's so many different types of episodes. You could hand pick some and give them to your kid. Okay. I'll report back. Super fun. All right, Patches, what have you been watching? Not very much. I think last week I said that I watched uh, Austin Powers Inspire Shagged Me. And after that Sorry. podcast, I watched um, Austin Powers International Man of Mystery and then Austin Powers Gold Member. Um, Weird order. I know. I know. Well, no, I'm sorry. I watched Gold Member and then I watched International Man of Mystery. I did two, three, one. You started. Uh, wait. Gold Member's I, the first. Gold Member's the third own, one. Third one. Yeah. Third yeah. One. So you yeah. watched the worst one. Well, I wouldn't. I, I would say the second one is the best one. Gold Member is underrated. And the first one has some uh, some problematic issues, some deeper issues about how men should talk to women in life. Uh, like it's not very enjoyable. No, they don't. No. The first one is especially bad where like Austin is hitting on what's her name? Um, 
Felicity Shagwell. No, that's the second one. Um, what uh, Elizabeth Hurley's character? Yeah, and he's she's he's Vanessa, like tackling Vanessa her in something. bed, and it's just like, nah, this isn't gonna work. This is not. We don't tackle women in bed and try to kiss. Oh, them. you're out. Oh, I fell over. On oh, people. I fell oh, over. Oh, behave. God, I haven't seen. I watched those movies so much. I didn't and mean I have to not talk. About isn't, the, isn't the joke in Austin Powers that he is already out of his time in 1999, and that that yeah, is it's, no it's longer both, considered well, appropriate? That's the thing. It's it's both critiquing the Bond sexuality stuff and it's indulging in it. It's still like, do I make you horny, baby? They fall in love at the end. That's what it, like she succumbs to his sexuality. It's a little off putting in the first movie, and then the second one. Uh, Felicity Shagwell gets to, she's the one who's being super sexual and like once, and Austin lost his mojo, so the tables have turned, then she has to sleep with that bastard, just like Austin has to sleep with someone in the first movie, and it's a whole flip. See, if you were asking me which one's the more offensive character, I would say the second one. Why? So the female sex object who has to sleep with Fast Bass, Austin get his mojo back? Well, she's doing it for the the cause for the work. She's doing it for the same sure. reason well, as Spy. N- number one, that Austin did it. Neither in the first of these one. two. I'm saying it's. I'm not people. saying it's, it's less. A, these expensive. are characters. So one yeah. is a woman who uh, you know unfortunately gets comically sexually assaulted by the premise of the movie, and the other seems more problematic as a character in the movie. They're definitely problematic in different ways and on different levels. And I will say Spy Shaggy undermines itself by having her be like, why? I'm only lusting after you. Or like, I, I, I thought I was lusting after people and, and having sex with that bastard for the job. But really, I just want to have sex with you. Um, I, was, I just guy. wrote a feature that is sort of like the ultimate summer movie season where, you know, based on when movies came out on their calendar day, I sort of programmed the ideal summer movie season from the last 20 years. Uh, and because of its release in early May, I chose Austin Powers as my my lead off hitter. Oh, like anybody saw and that? In Wasn't that. that a VHS? The, bit, the bits are funny. Well, it's not necessarily about what was popular at the time. Uh, I mean, I, I'm programming Thelma and Louise. I'm programming uh, Melvin Van Pe- uh, Mario Van Peebles' Badass, which made four hundred thousand dollars. I believe it's this is badass. the ideal. <laughs> exactly, you got to pronounce all five S's <laughs> and the two exclamation points. Also, it's in caps. Uh, but the this is the ideal summer movie season, not necessarily just the most profitable. I mean, yeah, starting out the spring with Austin Powers, you could do worse than that. That's definitely the comedy slot before you start blowing the shit up. Exactly. It's, it's all about the, the slow build, although like any good track list or any good playlist, rather, or mixtape, the second song is really what needs to knock shit out of the park. And obviously, where we go into the week of May 15th or May 8th, I think it was the release, you have Mad Max Fury Road, where you're really setting things on the right track. David, how about you? What did you watch this week? Uh, well, I uh, I do want to point out, and we're talking about Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes, I did finally get Darth Revan, which was a, a big accomplishment for me. Um, had the Knights of the Old David's Republic shaking now. his head enthusiastically. Yeah, now I get the action figure, and you'll, you'll be all set. Okay. Slow your roll. Uh, and uh, what else? I watched. Um, I watched the first four episodes of Debs, which um, I'm reluctant to weigh in one way or the other because that's a show that could definitely go off the rails. But so far, I'm enjoying it quite a bit. Um, this was after I was writing about Annihilation last week, and uh, I don't know why, other than the fact that I have no time. I would kept putting off Alex Garland's TV show 
but uh, I really enjoy what I've seen so far. And Elisa and I watched the first six episodes of Never Have I Ever on Netflix, which we also enjoyed, if I can speak for her. Um, which I don't know if you guys have seen that. It's a uh, um, uh, why is her name escaping me? Very Mindy Kaling. Thank you. Uh, it's Mindy Kaling's new show that she executive produced. Katie, have you seen any of it? No, but I just keep hearing people saying it's enjoyable, and I keep having homework assignments I have to do instead. I love when things are set in high school, and this sure is. Uh, yeah. But it's very, it's very cute. It's very funny in a complete masterstroke that has yet to get old. Even after six episodes, it is narrated by John McEnroe as John McEnroe, who is comparing <laughs> all of uh, this Indian American girl's experiences in high school to his accomplishments and outbursts in his tennis career. Uh, it's very funny. Um, and uh, he hands off to a guest narrator who I will not spoil in one episode, um, which is also amusing. Uh, so that's been a fun reprieve from ER, uh, which we will return to very soon or at the tail end of the night season. Um, what else have I been watching or playing? I feel like there's definitely something uh, besides all of the shit I've had to watch for work. I continue to enjoy The Last Dance like everyone else, even though it really does seem to be about nothing more than itself. Uh, but that is just fine because I am enjoying the hell out of it. Um, I am glad that the world collectively slowly seems to be getting over Westworld, especially, not even, but especially the people whose job it is to cover it. <laughs> um, all seem to <laughs> I don't know if you're talking really... about me, but I did get over it. Yeah. Um, the finale was I, not... I just... Did you watch the finale, David? Oh, God, no. No, no. I, I stopped watching it forever after the, like, the third episode of the season. Uh, but I will, I, I just have such antipathy towards the show. It all comes back for me to the video they made in advance of the second season, where they were like, we're going to, they went on Reddit and they were like, we are going to play all the things that it seemed, it was like a really smart capitulation in my mind, my naive, stupid mind to, uh, it was, it was like a pushback against the spoiler culture and the theorizing culture. And it was like, we were just going to lay out everything that happens in the second season. And then you're going to watch it just for the you know, dramatic ins and outs of what's happening, the texture of the writing and so on. Um, and of course they were just playing a big joke on the audience. Uh, the punchline being that the show really is just all about the twists and turns and the spelunking for Easter eggs and all that shit. And that the second season then immediately went on to become the single biggest clusterfuck I've ever seen in a narrative television series. Uh, I thought it was just, just rewards, but uh, David's never I, seen I totally Twin Peaks season two. That show. I have indeed. And I find Twin Peaks season two to be more of know, a narrative I'm, clusterfuck sort of like, than Westworld season two. Well, not in the same sort of naughty way. I mean like K N O T T Y, but I have, um, I don't have any sort of hot take about season two of Twin Peaks being the, the best or anything like that. I, I'm as, uh, the, the, as only, dull the only reason as it goes on as I reacted else, like I, even though Jodie Foster directs, uh, is it Jodie Foster? No, it's not Jodie Foster. It's Diane Keaton directs a really interestingly directed episode. Um, the only reason I bring that up is because I think that they like really over responded to season two was a clusterfuck and season three got so simple to the point that the last shot of the season is a huge Fight Club reference. And it's like, what but are you I even doing? That, sure. But in what I, I was like reading, uh, what Esther Zuckerman was writing today on Thrillist, because um, I'm still loyal to Thrillist, unlike some people on this podcast. <laughs> uh, and, um, I, it, it sounded to me from her write-up like 
at least the season finale anyway, if not the episodes preceding it, were still incredibly convoluted. Um, but maybe I'm I mean, it, ish, but I guess you're less frustrated with it because I don't know. For me, with season two, I'm like, I'd rather see you try something that you're super passionate in and fall on your face than give us what we think we want and just like underwrite the whole thing, which I feel is what happened. But doesn't matter as we've learned we're getting another season and then maybe as many as six total seasons so we're halfway through although i just read an interview on variety with uh because it was teased as them talking about when the show ends and it was very much clickbait for me (laughs) and uh they were saying that the sixth season thing was not by was has gotten a life of its own it's not something they've committed to and are they're gearing up for at the end so i wouldn't be shocked if uh, it wraps up in season four uh, whenever that might actually come out. Um, but uh, I have not been watching Westworld. That is for damn sure. But I am looking forward to seeing the rest of Debs. And if uh, I did write my one and only one obligatory piece about, uh, you know, these uncertain times that we're in, in this moment of coronavirus and so on, and it was about Annihilation, it's on IndieWire now, if you like Alex Garland or uh, are just looking for movies to help make sense of what's happening... Uh, check it out. It's a mystery, I suppose. Just how long this thing goes. But there'll be crowds and there'll be shows. And there will be light after dark. Someday we aren't six feet apart. Uh, I watched the Parks and Recreation reunion special. I liked it. It was very heartfelt. I liked hearing all the characters. Everyone got in a good joke. It was in and out. It was 22 minutes long. No further complaints. Patches, you have mixed feelings? I do. I do. I was really excited for it. It just didn't feel like an episode. I mean, there was just so much. (laughs) It was just COVID-19 PSA. It was, and I probably made the mistake of watching the Paley Center tribute to Parks and Rec in the half hour before it, which, um, Got me really excited. It was good to see. I love Amy Poehler so much. Like I could have watched her just talking to people on Zoom all the whole episode. Not not everyone is up to her caliber of uh, sitting in place comedy. I just think the characters weren't really there. They don't get to move and interact like they normally would. It's a cool idea. I'm really not looking forward to the future of like Zoom based entertainment if people think that they're going to do quarantine comedies and sitcoms based on this premise just like don't do it it's going to be terrible i hate i hate the confinement here the the, there's nothing you have to bend so many rules like even getting um aubrey praza and chris pratt their characters were are married and they were like in different rooms in their house. It's so stupid. Um, I will say this. Here's, 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 the, here's the twist. I can't wait to watch Parks and Rec again. It got me really excited to watch yeah. Park. It did make me really want to watch real Parks and Rec again. Yeah. Um, but like, I, I don't think they tried to pretend it was anything different. Like the entire Perd Happily segment made me stupid. laugh. Oh, over that was fun. And over and over again. Um, I don't know. I I took exactly what I, I think I expected from it exactly what it was. And maybe your expectations were inflated by thinking too much about what the real show was. I mean, in a world where we're not all in the middle of a global crisis, then yes, maybe fan service for fan service's sake is bad. But in a world where you kind of want Leslie Nope to be controlling the government, and that's constantly coming up in my mind because now Joe Biden's in the presidential race. 
I was happy to be fan serviced for a brief period of time. Yep. Yep. Was Joe Biden on Parks yes. and Rec? Yeah, he did a oh, camera. Right, right. Uh, Leslie Knope had a big crush on him. And now people hate Joe Biden for some reason. People are also going to vote for Joe Biden. So it's, yeah, it's just Leslie Knope probably doesn't have a crush on him anymore. But not David. He's wearing, even wearing his MAGA hat tonight. Yeah, look at that. That's wow. all you can see. It's just MAGA <laughs> right across the screen. <laughs> <laughs> our neighbor has a red baseball hat that he wears like when he walks his dog and we see him walk by a lot and like it's i don't even i don't know what it is you know i can't do red baseball it's definitely not a mega hat red red hats have been ruined forever i don't care if it's your favorite sports team i know done you gotta burn them we did a whole episode about this i couldn't even go into my local park because i saw people wearing (laughs) red hats and like saluting the flag and stuff (laughs) i got scared So what's strange about this is that we're going into segment three and we can say out loud something that we have kept off the air for four years and not tweeted about and not ever hinted at patches. You've spent four years interviewing Josh Trank for a story that is out this week. That's right. It's here. <laughs> it's in the world. Um, um, first of all, I'm for very some excited. reason, Josh Trank, the guy who made Chronicle and Fantastic Four, I spent four years talking to off and on. And now, Is I don't know. Is he still going to want to talk to you after this piece was live? <laughs> That's a good question. We'll only find out later. Um, I think he did. He has told me, and he told me on the record, so I can repeat it here. But it's just like, you know, this is a big piece, and it's a big moment for him to come back after all this time after Fantastic Four and all the stories and all the gossip and all the all the truth too that's out there. Um, and then this piece that we've been that I've worked on essentially with him because we've just been talking and talking and I've been kind of translating it. Uh, it will probably shape some of the conversation of his movie. I guess we'll see. Uh, but I, I guess my, my question and what I don't know, putting this piece out there and I guess we can get into what this piece was all about or why I even wanted to write about him and uh, how it's maybe changed in, in four years. Nothing has happened in four years. Has it? That's the weird part. Uh-uh. It's just constantly the same world that we're living in for four years. Um, I, I, I don't know what people really think of Trank. Katie, you and I were kind of chatting earlier today that you thought he might be emblematic of like the worst kind of white 30 something privileged filmmakers who get a million tries or something in the eyes of, of people. What do you, what do you make of Josh Trank and that whole fantastic four explosion? It, it still seems like one of the biggest bomb moments of the last Five years. I don't know if someone has spectacularly failed in that way that I can think of. Um, Colin Trevorrow being like the only similar comparison, but then he had the whole second. What was his bomb? Book of Henry. That wasn't a bomb, though. It was just so terrible. uh, Not directing Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he got to have that in common. Yeah, they they both are not directing a Star Wars movie when they were supposed to. Um, I guess I saw Book of Henry as like a, a fifteen million dollar passion project that was unusually awful. I don't I don't see Fantastic Four and Book that. of Henry as no. The same. Fantastic Four is definitely a high. It is like the biggest comic book. That's like the biggest bomb with a Marvel property. 
that I can think of, at least like oh, yeah. in the 90s or something. I mean, even um, the X-Men movies kind of float along and make Yeah, like just Dark enough. Phoenix couldn't have been as big a bomb as Fantastic no. Four. Um, but Josh Trank maybe has only been served by Max Landis becoming more of a symbol for unearned white male privilege, um, both because he's like the son of John Landis and then like legit Hollywood legacy, but also they work together on Chronicle and Max Landis has shown his ass on Twitter over and over again since then, whereas Josh Trank has somewhat (laughs) uh, stepped away from the spotlight more than Max Landis has. Um, But no, I mean, I think if you are someone who is person of color or a woman or otherwise like doesn't have the other legs up in the industry that is in your peace patches, like Josh Trank wasn't Max Landis, but he did have some connections to build on. You would watch him being you know, not just Fantastic Four, but also like making Capone, his new movie, like being able to pull that together and being like, oh, that's because he's a 30-something white guy who reminds other white guys of themselves, which is literally what Steven Spielberg said about Colin Trevorrow. And I think it really crystallized a lot of that impulse for many people. Yeah, I mean, privilege takes so many different forms, especially in the in the movie business. And I don't, you know, Trank is really adamant that He's not asking for a handout. He didn't want to be given another job. He didn't want a second chance. He didn't want to fail up when so many people have. I mean, I was just reading about this Snake Eyes movie, um, the G.I. Joe spinoff that's coming out that's being directed by Robert Schwenke, whatever his name is. Has anyone failed so many times and gotten so many more jobs for some reason, the guy who made like Allegiant or whatever that movie was. And God, and Oh, what was that movie with um, RIPD? Oh yeah. He, made, he must, he must yeah, really he know how to bring movie. things in on budget. I guess that's right. I guess that's right. Like, I don't understand how those guys continue to work. And that is certainly kind of a form of privilege that makes you roll your eyes. It's just like, give other people a chance. Um, and Drake, you know, in the piece, says he's like really adamant he's just like i wanted to write a script that someone else would buy and i wanted to make it it's the only way he could come back without in his mind being dragged by society we were feeling he, he didn't feel like he could do that um well that's as a part an artist. of your piece also that like made me because i think you're it's very fair to him but i also kind of kept raising my eyebrow at him where he's like i can't do like a direct for hire like tv episode gig it's like okay Lots right. of people do yeah. that who have very strong directing careers and like it seems when you're out of you money you can edit it. a lot of shit when you're well that's yeah. the thing like and I think I really in the piece I'm not trying I'm just letting him speak because he has a lot of thoughts and people can judge him in whatever way they want and I'm con- I find myself conflicted over so many different things which is like. On one hand, that does sound really pretentious and it's rude. It's actually a rude thing to say because there are great directors who make television or have stepped away from, you know, 20 years of making movies to making television and do great television. Well, think of Ryan Johnson, who did successfully make a Star Wars movie, but also he went back and then memorable forth, right? episodes of Breaking Bad and um, so on. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a rude thing to say. And on the other hand, it's also like someone who's really trying to be an artist. Like, why does... Uh, being an artist sounds so pretentious. Why does it sound so even, I mean, Trank is a defensive person. So he's trying to like, I don't know, put up the armor and push through and like be an artist. But I feel like we look down at people who talk about trying to 
preserve the kind of artistry they want to do. Mm. I mean, he wanted to make Capone on his own terms. It's not that we look, it's 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 not that we look down on it. It's like, uh, you side eye all method actors because you don't know if that's them trying to explain themselves or if that's what they've come up with to cover their bad behavior. Like I'm doing this for the art and therefore I'm letting other people like have a bad time or putting other people's careers at risk is a shitty excuse that we don't allow people to do it for the art for anymore. And also there's like, if you're saying you're doing it for the art, but also I want to write a script that I'm going to get someone to finance. Like those seem like conflicting things. If you want to make only the art that you want to make, then there are ways to do that. And have is your there though? Hollywood. I mean, I, I say this in the piece a little bit, which is like, you can't make making movies is not like painting a picture or writing a no, song, right? Like not. you need someone to finance you, and, and as soon as you get money from someone, it's automatically a game of of compromises or and fights. It's a really kind of vicious. Well, yeah, but didn't like, didn't he say that he compromised from the very start in making Capone, being like, "All right, here's a movie that can get made. I'll do this and this and this to get it done." I mean, he took pay cuts. Is that what you mean? I, th- I mean, I thought you were talking about how he like figured out what kind of movie that could get financed and decided to make it from. There. Oh no, no, he he. This, I mean, Capone is based on his like really disturbing sounding loneliness and just months of being in his own head and kind of putting all of those. I mean, the way he describes it sounds like transcendental meditation in the, in the David Lynch form of just like going into your own brain and mining dreams. Uh, for him, it was just like a lifetime of, of reading about Capone and then kind of putting it on the page. This was definitely not um, a, a movie that he wrote to be marketable and uh, the movie is not marketable. <laughs> but he also did edit it to make it more marketable. Not really, no. So I, what thought, hap- I thought that was what your piece implied. Yeah, no, so what happened? I mean, that there was probably some of that, to be quite honest. Um, but his cut is really... He, he loves Twin Peaks. And he got Peter Deming, who shot Twin Peaks The Return, to shoot Capone. And, you know, wanted this to be a really impressionistic kind of dream logic version of the of the Capone biopic. It's, or the gangster films of the 20s and 30s, I should say. Um, and then no one was buying it. <laughs> no one, they couldn't find a distributor for this movie. It was like impenetrable um, or, or not easily marketable, I shouldn't say. And so they hired another person to kind of come in and, and try and make it into something more marketable. And ultimately vertical who was putting out the movie in later this month um, bought his cut. So they kind of reverted to what Josh wanted in the beginning, uh, which is interesting because yeah, even if you read the script, it's like this is not this is not um what was that Johnny Depp gangster movie from a few years ago oh, or something? Public enemies. Yeah. Not even, no, not public. Uh, I'm thinking of the other Johnny Depp gangster movie, uh, Black, Black Black Mass. Black Mass. I'm just like it's not like a kind of half baked prestige picture where you get all the kind of corny Scorsese riffs or something, just hoping to win an Oscar. It's like this is not a movie for everybody. Um, and uh yeah he did not write it for to be marketable so the fact that somebody kind of picked it up is surprising in the beginning the fact that it actually doesn't totally surprise me braun financed this movie who they did like joker and they they do more of these kind of like brutalist arty pictures joker fits that bill even if it's super marketable obviously as a dc villain to plug into that 
uh, that mold, but they are behind like Kerry Fukunaga pictures and uh, they love auteurs. And I think they saw authorship in this script. Certainly that's the way Trent I mean, talks. About can it. I ask you something as someone who's been over this process uh, over the past four years, do you think he's what he's becoming is more Josh Trank or another Josh Trank? Like is the thing that hooked Chronicle, if that was real, if he's a real diamond in the rough and like they polished him, but then tossed him away because of a studio fuck up is this movie going to be like, this is the kind of shit that I always wanted to make. Or is this look at me now? I think it's what I've always wanted to make. So he refers to this as kind of his first film. And I, I, I buy that even though that again, he talks in very, he can talk in very pretentious ways um, and high fluid ways. And but I do think he's being genuine when he says like, oh, this feels like the first movie I get to make. Um, he's a huge Kubrick person, which is, I think is very obvious and, and apparent, especially in the way he talks and obsesses and how he's kind of molded himself in in the shape of these auteurs he's loved. Um, he... Remember, he, he made a viral video. Right. <laughs> this is how Josh Trank got his career. And not many people... Please remind me if I'm wrong about this, but like how many people came from viral videos? You'd think more, but there haven't been a kind of a lot, a lot of like millennial directors who've worked at the, this level. The only people who really come to mind are the Daniels mm-hmm. who made Swiss Army Man. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, again, and they started, they kept doing viral videos. They did a lot of music videos and then they did Swiss Army Man um, and then made kind of like even tinier movies by themselves. You know, Josh made one viral video that blew up um, then, then got some like webisodes and editing work. And then he got, and none of that was the reason he got Chronicle Chronicle came together because he had the idea and actually him and Jeremy Slater, who uh, full disclosure, Katie and I and Dave, I think have played online risk with Jeremy. Slater. Yeah. Full disclosure. <laughs> they were going to be real mad the about this disclosure. Josh Trank yeah, podcast piece. The- we didn't reveal that. <laughs> <laughs> He's good at he's good at Warlight. Um, but they were working on that script in the beginning, and then Slater's agents told him to like get off this movie, write something for money, don't do spec scripts. So Max Landis stepped in. They Trank and him connected on Facebook, uh, the most millennial saga. Um, and then they just Max was the one. Max had connections, right? Max is actual born and bred in Hollywood got this to agents, pitched it without Trank knowing Trank was still attached. He wrote the script in like three weeks. It circled, circulated to all the studios and suddenly Trank is about to direct the movie. Um, he didn't have ideas. And I think the thing with Chronicle is it's a really specific idea. Like the movie kind of makes itself. Um, and I'm not saying that I could have stepped in and made Chronicle. I think it did take someone with a real vision and a real understanding, the calculus of making Chronicle with all the different camera moves. But like he was impressing Fox. Uh, Fox really wanted to make Josh Trank's movie here. And they did a test shoot and everything to like prove that this guy could do it. And he could. Um, but it was so, so specific that you wonder. I, I still think he's kind of an unproven director. Um, yeah, well, I you know, mean, we'll never we'll never really know what the trank cut of Fantastic Four is, but I'm not certain it would have ever made sense. Like there was too much going on in that movie, even if like they hadn't touched this cut at all after the initial shoot. Like 
we just don't know what Fantastic Four was like. There's too many cooks in the kitchen. So now you have him making a third movie and it does feel like the first one because it's like, this is a normal movie that you wrote and directed without too much interference. Will it be good? Will, it's definitely the purest thing that it seems like he's made. Yeah. I mean, uh, I guess the view from this and the thing that makes it conflicting is because he's not somebody who, you know, one of these Kevin Spacey's or whatnot who like committed an actual crime. He really is sort of like in movie jail for making bad movies and gigantic bombs. I'm not opposed to this arc of him making a smaller, more personal film and feeling out what his place in the industry is. I think the thing that if I kick against anything and the thing that Katie's kicking against is a tour director is the most privileged position in filmmaking in terms of controlling what may actually makes it to the screen. And a lot of people do fantastic work that makes a name for themselves, not in that position, but in a support position. And then they get their shot and then they get to do what it is. It seems like Josh Trank uh, got to the position of I'm a director and I'm going to have some control. And then rather than maybe try to figure out some other ways to, live his passion and work up towards his dream. The only thing that was going to work for him was his vision. And that's can be very motivating or it can be very dangerous, but it does. Oh, I mean, incredibly dangerous. I, I don't think there's any doubt. I hope from people who read this piece that like he was his own worst enemy on fantastic four. Like yeah. maybe I, I do think there's probably embellishment in a lot of the, the reporting and rumor that came out around fantastic four, but a lot of the stuff that didn't come out was just what was going on in his head and what was he was dealing with. Like, I personally think, and the reason I wanted to write about this is that I always saw this as kind of like a mental health story. Yeah. I saw this as about what I feel as a millennial, and I, it's such an icky word. I hope I cut it out from my piece. I don't remember if I did. Maybe there's one instance of the use of, of that word. Um, but I, I think in 2016 when i started thinking about writing about this and and contacting trank i was thinking about how like bad i felt about my life and how far i had come or not and wondering if i wasn't doing enough to get what i wanted in the world and how i think a lot of people suffer from that that ailment of um you know, reading like 30 under 30 lists and seeing entrepreneurs, startups and like young people, wunderkinds, like rising to the top. It's, I, I create so much anxiety um, and feeling like you have to be the best to be in the whatever industry that you are in or like always rising to the next level, always get a promotion, always get a raise, always like do this and that to be the best. I don't know. I, I, I don't think that this is just a Hollywood story necessarily. There's a lot of Hollywood information and movie nerds will love it. Uh, but for me, I, I was interested because his mental health got the best of him. Like there was no, he had no friends because he spent a hundred percent of his time working um, and he got what he wanted by doing that. It does take that level of commitment. I talk to people all the time about like 
Uh, I wound up getting married. I wound up having kids. I feel like I didn't sacrifice enough to get this and that. And it might be right. Like you do have to sacrifice a lot to get what you Sure. But I think there's also a balance that doesn't leave you eating KFC potatoes with your hands in a parking lot and then paralyzed for a year. I think that's right. I don't think you have to push yourself over the edge. I think people convince themselves to. And too often. And uh, even like in Silicon Valley, you see these stories too, just like people who are too in deep, they lose their morals, they lose their character, and they create companies that are horrible to people. I don't think they meant to do that most of the time, even though I don't think there are like a lot of villains out there. There are not a lot of bad people. They're just people who start. Is this the joke? Capitalism is <laughs> the villain, man. <laughs> are we talking about the Joker right now? Um, I really like the piece and i hope i like the movie because i will say this uh but the two strikes on josh trank uh one you don't like chronicle no no no, no. i said what one is uh fantastic four and the second is uh making me think that like i i should watch his therapy they should watch his therapy yeah, i think is in the I think, movie being i his think therapy. the movie's his therapy oh. and if it's not good Mind then you. that's you know fine and i'm glad he got to put it off but uh maybe josh trank isn't for me yeah and uh, i should say this retweets are not endorsements i'm just uh talking to someone and putting it out there i don't know i i, I don't really feel i've gotten a lot of notes and like going back and forth on this piece being like my am i for josh am i rooting for josh trank or am i being too hard on josh trank i'm like i don't i don't know i've really kind of stood back from the whole thing and wondered how someone starts after a failure of that magnitude and and climbs back to anywhere wherever they want and i think what's funny about josh is that he's extremely online and that plays into some of his worst tendencies too um he can't a lot of us can't escape the bad things about ourselves, even if we start recognizing them because they come back to haunt us uh, online or on Facebook or on Twitter or something. And it, it, that disturbs me too. Um, I'm, well, uh, there's a lot of growth, but it, I'm not sure that you can ever escape yourself. It's a really great piece. It's my favorite kind of piece, which is about people coping with their failures in Hollywood. And uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know how it's going to go for this guy, but uh I think this will serve either way as a fascinating time capsule it about does a particular seem like, point and period in Hollywood where this could happen. It does seem if he behaved himself as well on the set of Capone as you witness patches as being like a good leader of this group of people and, you know, uh, inspiring confidence from them. And I don't think Capone is going, if there's no box office, I don't know that it's going to be like a cultural event, but it does seem like if it can be like, hello, I can be a grown up and make a movie and come within my budget and make you some money on it, that that's a good forward step for him. Yeah, I think he just has to keep being positive. And he is. Um, I mean, in the time that I've been talking to him, he's been, he's a very polite gentleman. He says the word fuck a lot. I will say that. And, um, he just, he, he, I think people like Josh get pent up. And I hope that art does become an escape for them. I, you know, uh, you're worried about this being therapy for him, Dave. You might be right. Um, like it might not be the perfect movie. It might not be a masterpiece because there's too much of him in it. He says, I, I forget if he says this in the piece, but we definitely talked about how like he needed other writers 
uh, for Chronicle and, and everything he's ever done because he's, he was immature or he like was too close to the material and he's very close to Capone and that might hurt him in the end. And he's kind of committed to like writing and directing his own scripts. And I don't know if that will change in the future after Capone. Um, but he does seem to be aware that movies and all art and all the things that all of us do in this world um, require both skill and character and only on Capone, I think has he learned what his character does for a set. And it was a great, it was awesome. I mean, everyone really did love being there. And I've worked on a lot of film shoots in my life where people didn't want to be there. (laughs) It's funny. I actually knew the AD on the movie um, from a totally different walk of life. We had worked on a movie together maybe 10 years ago, and it was one of the worst experiences of my life and this guy's life. And then we met on this set and it, it was also, you know, he's rewriting the whole schedule in a single day and the sun is going down. Are we going to get the shots in? And it's, it really felt like being back on a film school set was very strange, but everyone was having a very good time. And I think it was because between takes, Josh would be like telling stories or making jokes or the script supervisor was screaming about penises or some shit. It was just like a big rowdy, happy time. And then Tom Hardy was there like dancing to hip hop and everyone just wanted to be there. It's a really, you know, it's, it's important that everyone enjoys their workspace. I don't think all of us need to, to hear that. Like it's better when everyone enjoys what they're doing. And Josh is important. He's the boss. I mean, that's the other thing. All of these movies, once you make a movie, you're the boss of a company, not just the director imparting your artistic vision. And uh, I think on this, on Capone, he became a boss. Well, I'm happy this uh, also culminated for four years of your life because I remember, like at uh, what David's wedding, you were online getting food with me on the phone with Josh Trank. <laughs> I'm 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 really upset that my wedding was not mentioned in this piece. Uh, but the, the piece does feel like uh, it was the product of four years of work and insight and i definitely encourage people to check it out as much as, uh, just as i encourage us to end this episode please yeah. <laughs> we can go uh, it's taken us four work. years to make 299 episodes that's true oh, that probably might be That does it for this week's show. A reminder, next week it will be a live call-in show. Monday, May 11th, 9 p.m. Uh, find the Zoom link on our Twitter, on uh, fightingwarroom.com. Maybe some other places that you all will mention uh, when you tell people who you are. Ring, ring, I'm calling in. It's Matt Patches here. Uh, senior editor at <laughs> Lost at sea. Totally dead. Uh, we have a website, fightingintheworm.com. You can listen to the episodes, you can comment on them, or you can find the link to our call-in show for next week. It should be fun. You'll sit in the waiting room and you'll wait for me to call on you, but it'll be fun. Uh, I'm David Ehrlich. I'm about to sneak into my son's nursery with my iPhone flashlight on my hands and knees to get the power charger for my laptop uh, in the hopes of not waking him up. 
pray for me um, and pray for all of us on iTunes at Fighting in the War Room where you can leave us a review uh, you can even uh, call into our call-in episode next week and leave us a review live in person with all of us responding in real time to your praise or uh, scolding <laughs> so uh, please do that Fighting in the War Room, iTunes Hey, it's me, David the Seven. You can follow me on Twitter at DA7E. You can also listen to me on another podcast. It's called The Storm, a Lost Rewatch podcast. We are rewatching Lost. We are up through season three, but you also have not missed our Damon Lindelof special for season two, which is upcoming. So get in here. Lost. We're halfway through ish. <laughs> um. I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at VanityFair.com on the Little Gold Men podcast, where, as mentioned, we're talking about Amadeus this week. I also interviewed Andre Holland, uh, who is in the Netflix Ooh. series The Eddie. Speaking of um, young white male wunderkinds, it's uh, executive produced by Damien Chazelle. Um, also, this Andre Holland interview was on Zoom, and I could see him, which was horrifying, because then I had to also look at myself next to his very handsome Yeah, but face. you got to look at Andre Holland. I know, but, like, right. also me. And I... Ugh. He... He lives in my neighborhood, and Elise and I will occasionally see him uh, back when you'd see anybody uh, at restaurants. And the like, her whole body is transformed uh, as soon as she spots him in a way that I find deeply threatening. But I still yeah. love him. <laughs> well, and he also looks good on Zoom, and nobody looks good on Zoom. It's a really unfair advantage. Anyway, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. And you can find us all on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R, where you can talk to us, look for the link to the Zoom for next week's live call-in show, or answer this week's light on question, which was... Because masks are cool, what's your favorite movie mask? Thank you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you all next Monday, May 11th, or on the episode that you'll hear after that next week. The circle is